So I'm doing a little pinch hitting this morning <laughs> uh, and ask for your grace as I do that. Um, a lot of times people tell me that they enjoy and get a lot out of the children's moment, so you're all in luck this morning. You're getting a really long children's moment. <laughs> Um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. It's a fun website called Mentimeter, and this was actually Mike's idea. He set it up, and I thought it was great. So with his blessing, we are going to uh, continue to use it. Uh, so this is your time for those in the sanctuary and those at home to pull out your device, your phone, uh, your laptop, and go to menti.com. And then when you get there, it'll ask you to enter a code. So you're going to enter that code there. And this is just going to be a really engaging way for um, us all to participate in the message this morning, especially those of you who are worshiping from home. Uh, you can engage with all of us as you do that. Are we, are we getting there? Oh, go back to the code, Mr. Ray. 19601400. That's the code that you're going to enter in menti.com. It's going to allow you to anonymously type in some answers to a couple of questions that Mike really has for you this morning. Everybody good? No? <laughs> Okay, good. It's working. So the question is, what feelings and benefits do you have or do you think you have from having enough money? Like enough money that you're not worried about anything, enough money to retire. Uh, if you don't know what that feels like, you can imagine. <laughs> That's what I needed to do. <laughs> so <laughs> what feelings do you get from having enough money. And so, as the words pop up on the screen, these are the words that those of you here in the sanctuary that got to the site and those of you at home, these are the words that people are typing in. And the bigger the word appears in our word picture, that means the more people typed it in. So, um, security, as you can see, is a very big word. Comfort, peace. Uh, I see less stress. Um, peace of mind. Thankfulness, food, uh, shelter. Uh, so security and comfort and peace, those are still kind of the big three that are up there. Um, it's really cool how it just keeps changing as people keep adding words. Okay, so let's go to the second question. What feelings and benefits do you get from your relationship with God? Joy, love, grace, peace, security, happiness, hope, comfort. The words are too small back there. I have to look over here. <laughs> Calm, happy, assurance, strength, love content. Safety, acceptance. 
Okay. So, uh, some of the words that you notice between the two lists, um, there's some crossover. Things like peace, comfort, security, peace of mind, happiness. Uh, we see them on both lists. And so, it's not surprising, really, you can go ahead, that uh, sometimes we can get the two things confused, right? Thanks for playing, by the way. That's going to make Mike really happy that it worked. <laughs> so, when we get those two things confused and we focus a little bit more on the peace and security that money gives us rather than the peace, comfort, and security that a relationship with God gives us, it's possible that money turns into a God with a little g in our lives, um, and that it begins to control us a little bit. <clears throat> and when we begin to believe that we have control over things through the peace and security that we get with having enough money, uh, that everything we have comes from our own power, our own ability, our own control, and our own skills, it's easy to lose some of our dependence on the Lord. And when money becomes our God, enough is never going to be enough. <clears throat> and it's easy to lose the contentment that can exist independent of material things. The word contentment was on the second list. I didn't see it on the first. And it's contentment that we're really going to focus on today. It's a key word in our Scripture we're about to look at. Um, and it's a, un a word that in Scripture is unique to Paul, meaning that only Paul used it. And in Greek, it's autarkia. And contentment is more than merely being satisfied or happy, which are synonyms that we often use for it. Rather, it's a state of mind. Um, the sense of being completely at peace with ourselves, of the sufficiency of only the necessities of life, knowing that we don't need anything outside of that to be whole or to be complete. And so as Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young disciple and a young leader in the church, um, he's encouraging him and guiding him towards this sense of contentment, the sense of security in his relationship with the Lord and in his salvation and warning him about the danger of trusting in material security rather than trusting in God. So let's go to our scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. <coughs> For we brought nothing into the world so that we can, have, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. So last week, Pastor Mike talked about the idea that everything that we have is really God's, and so that when we return a portion to God, we're really just giving back what is already God's. Um, and then today, the scripture reminds us that we can't take it with us. And the biblical truth for that is found in verse 7, where Paul writes that we bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it. It reminds me of a funny story I once heard of a rich widow. Um, her husband was very wealthy, and he loved his money, and he wanted to take it with him. And so he told her and everybody he knew to bury him with his riches. And the time came when the man passed, and they had the service, and one of their, her friends just couldn't help themselves. They came up to the widow and said, I just have to know, did you honor his wish? Did you bury him with his money? And she said, sure. I stuck a check in his pocket. <laughs> so it's really absurd to think that we could take our riches with us. Paul tells Timothy that in contentment there is happiness and godliness. Remember, contentment is that, that state of mind of being ourselves with nothing else before God. And that if we have food and clothing, and the original word that was translated as clothing literally meant covering material, so that possibly includes shelter as well, that if we have those things that we will be content. It is godly to find happiness with what we have, and Paul says, foolish, to chase after things that we have to leave behind at death. Paul is warning us to try and find happiness, in um, warning us not to try to find happiness in things that are only temporary. Power, wealth, money, they're all temporary. It's something that you can only have here. When our time on earth is through, the only thing we can bring to God is ourselves, and an explanation of what we've done with what he has given us. In fact, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this idea in the message version of the scripture, that true wealth comes from the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. And I don't think we have to wait for the end of our lives to do that. I think in the present, in each day, we can spend time with God as ourselves, 
kind of stripping away or laying aside all of the worldly stresses and pressures and identities that we have to carry and simply come to God in a non-anxious way as ourselves and feel that acceptance and comfort and peace of mind of knowing that we are loved just as we are. Paul is encouraging Timothy and us to focus on the pursuit of permanent things like salvation, like our relationship with God. The text also reminds us that the love of money is the root of all evil. This verse often gets mistranslated or misquoted as money being the root of all evil, but that's not the word. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is simply a tool, and like any tool that we have, we can use it for good or we can use it for evil. There's an old saying that we should use money and love people. And the problem comes when we reverse that and we love money and use people. So I thought of a few stories of examples of narratives where people kind of get that confused and end up placing money before their relationships with others or with God. Um, most of my friends know that I really love musicals. Uh, the first musical I ever loved was Annie, the movie version with Carol Burnett and Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. I was like five years old and I could sing every word. I had an Annie bedspread and an Annie nightgown and was sort of like Elsa for the 80s. <laughs> and my brother to this day can sing all the songs in Annie because I made him watch it with me over and over and over and over again. Sorry, David. <laughs> Uh, but it's a skill, I think, I gave him. <laughs> so towards the beginning of the movie, when Annie is presented at the mansion, uh, she says, uh, or um, Daddy Warbucks says, I'm a businessman. I love power and money and capitalism. I do not now or ever will love children. And I feel like it's a really old movie, so it shouldn't be a spoiler alert for anybody to tell you <laughs> that by the end of the movie, his attitude changes and he tells her, it has occurred to me now that no matter how many houses I own, how many Rembrandts, how many Duesenbergs, if I don't have someone to share it with, I may as well be penniless back in Liverpool. And so he's realized that his relationship with others and even his relationship with himself and his identity is less controlled, shouldn't be controlled by money, but rather how he is relating to other people in his life. Um, another good example is King Midas. I'm sure you heard the story when you were a child of the king who loved three things. He loved his daughter, he loved his rose garden, and he loved gold. And he had the opportunity to make a wish and for it to be granted, and he foolishly wished that everything he touched would turn to gold, and it worked. And at first he's very happy running around his palace and you know, touching everything and just ecstatic over seeing it all turn to gold. And the real trouble begins when he goes to eat his lunch and everything he touches turns to gold and he realizes he can't eat and he starts to get a little nervous about his wish. And then his daughter runs in from the garden and gives him a hug and turns to gold. And he's heartbroken, realizing that he has placed his priority on the wrong thing. The last example I thought of is the 
um, classic It's a Wonderful Life uh, with George Bailey, who is sort of the opposite of contentment. If there were ever a good example for the opposite of contentment, it might be George Bailey at the beginning of that movie. He is frustrated. He is frustrated with where he finds himself in life uh, and the choices he feels like he has had to make. Uh, And when that missing money turns up and he has to figure out what to do, he even considers ending his own life, thinking he'd be worth more dead than he would be alive. And of course, Clarence helps him to realize that no man is a failure who has friends and that true riches lie in the love that we have for one another. In all of these stories, the truth that we can gain from it is that our relationship with God and our relationships with others are where we find a more permanent happiness and wealth rather than being caught in the trap of always needing more and never being satisfied. The passage concludes with how a rich person should behave. And by world standards, if you know where your next meal is coming from, you're rich. Paul writes in verse 18 that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. John Wesley said that we should earn all we can, save all we can, and give all we can. John Wesley actually became a wealthy man through his preaching and his writing, and throughout his life, every time his income increased, he would keep his living expenses the same and increase his giving. So by the end of his life, he was giving like 75% of his earnings. You can all take a deep breath. (laughs) I'm not suggesting you give as John Wesley did. But it's the mindset that he had towards money, the contentment of knowing that he had everything necessary for his life, and anything beyond that he could be generous with, that we need to try to remember If we use money as the tool that it is to provide for our families, to have enough savings to weather the storms, to give to God and to build the kingdom, then it does provide those words that we saw a few minutes ago. Peace, comfort, stability. And that's a great thing for us to have that peace of mind. I know what it's like to not have that peace of mind. It's the stress that comes with it is real. Uh, My husband is a school teacher, and I managed to find the one career that pays less than public education. (laughs) As many of you know, I was an instructor at a college when I heard God calling me to leave that behind. A position became available at the church, and over a couple of months, Uh, I just kept hearing this little voice that was telling me that I needed to do that. And I came up, of course, with all the reasons why that was crazy and not a good idea. But God just wouldn't let go and just kept placing that in front of me. There was this song at the time called I Refuse by Josh Wilson uh, that really spoke to me about refusing to stand by and letting somebody else do what you felt you were called to do. It was a 55% pay cut, and Steve and I did a lot of number crunching and a lot of praying about what that would mean and whether or not we could do it. And the numbers never really did add up, but 
we said yes to God, and we stepped out in faith. And it was scary sometimes, and there were uh, a lot of times when there was more month than there was money. But we were so blessed by things and people and circumstances that the money would never have provided. And in the end, we knew that it was the right choice. Money does solve some problems, but it can create them too. Because if we don't use it like a good tool, if we let it control us, if we get in that mindset that we can never have enough, if we turn it into a God with a little G, then we're going to constantly strive for more. And then it isn't really providing us with that security and peace of mind. It's giving us anxiety about keeping what we have and where we're going to get more of it and not losing it. We shouldn't allow money to become our God. It's easy to become confused by how similar those two lists were, our feelings toward God and our feelings toward money. But money can't love you. It doesn't care for you. It won't seek you out. It can't heal, bring you peace, contentment. It can't bring you salvation. And it can be taken from you at any time. What can never be taken from you? Your salvation, your love of God, and your treasures built up in heaven. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for all you have blessed us with in life. Friends, family, the gift of salvation and all things of which you have seen fit to make us stewards. Father, help us to have a heart that burns only for you. Help us to have a heart that uses your blessings in our lives to bless others and grow your kingdom. Guide us in such a way that we are not tempted by the love of money. We wish only to serve you. Help us to make that the truth of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.